if you'll look at John 6, we're looking at a miracle. We're looking at the miracle here of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, I think I had pretty good parents. And my parents were those people who had lived through the Depression, were married through World War II, had one child as the war was just beginning. One, my older brother was conceived. After the war, I was the one of the baby boom children, and then had a sister that came along about five years later. We were a family of three, and my parents provided for us. They wanted, though, always wanted more for us. My parents provided for us. They always wanted more for us. Does that sound familiar? All right, that'll help you to understand the miracle that we see in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus provided for them, but he wanted more than what he provided for them. They wanted one thing. He wanted for them much more than they could think or hope or ask. So that's what you see here. Uh, I'm going to begin reading down at verse 52. The outline that we're going to look at is going to kind of be like this. There was the miracle, the meaning of the miracle that Jesus is the bread of life. There's a mandate that follows this miracle mandate simply is that you, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then there is the murmuring. There is this murmuring that comes because the people don't want what Jesus is giving. And then lastly, you will see the maturing of the faith of these 12 people that are the disciples. So let me begin reading at verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. Whosoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven." Not like the bread the fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. 
The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said this. This is why I told you that you that, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? <clears throat> Jesus or Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke these, spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. He, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now, when we look at this from the very beginning of the chapter... John's telling us a great deal of detail here. There are details about where this all took place. And so we're told that it happened on a mountain. We're told that it was right next to the Sea of Galilee. We're told that multitudes were coming to him. They were coming to what was considered a remote region. You have this one little incidental piece that's not so incidental when you, you check it all out in the other Gospels. It says there was much grass there. And, and then you see later on that they're across on the other side of the Sea of Galilee the next day. And they're in the city of Capernaum and that they're in a synagogue. Now all of these things are details. They're, they could be checked out. They could be verified. These were known quantities. It, and it's... It's an attestation of the historicity of the things that took place about what the rest of the chapter is going to detail for us. John tells us who was there. Well, we know that the disciples were there, the twelve. There were other disciples that, you know, that are general. Some of the disciples are named. We learn that there's a lad there probably a boy about 10 to 12, not very old, and that he has five barley loaves and two fishes, and there's a multitude there, about 5,000, and if we take it the way it's written and to be understood, they were men. This is sort of a men's movement. You know how we've been having these promise keepers movements and things? This is a men's movement is the way it appears here in this. And so when we think of the miracle, we have these events. A lot more could be said to demonstrate the eyewitness nature of the account and the historicity of these events. But it's a clear miracle. Look at the numbers five loaves, two fishes, 5,000 men, 12 baskets. It doesn't say just baskets, the baskets were full of fragments that were taken up. After this event, Jesus met a great common need of all of these people in this miracle. These men's lives were refreshed. These lives were fed. These lives were satisfied. One and all, it says they were all satisfied with what Jesus had done. 
So Jesus knew this great common need, but this begins to be the lever of Jesus to introduce to them, to introduce to us, a greater common need that he knows of and is going to speak to and to introduce them from a great miracle to an even greater miracle. They receive the one through their mouths. This one will have to be received by faith. And the question is then, as we look at this, is will these people seek for Jesus for their greater need? Um, That's the problem today. People are coming to church. They're bringing themselves a basket load of problems. They come and they want the church people, the pastors in particular, and the staff and the senior members fix these things is their, their hope and goal. And we work to do that, of course, but in fixing, we try to focus. In trying to fix things in people's lives, we as staff, we as pastors, we as leaders try to focus them on the one that can truly change their lives. We try to focus them on Jesus so that they'll learn not to have these problems in the beginning. And when they have these problems, they'll know where to take these problems to. And they're connected to people with problems, and they can help other people with their problems as well through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is doing. Now, you have the meaning here in the second section of this. They find Jesus on the other side of the lake. I'm skipping a lot of detail but they wanted to make Jesus king Jesus sent him away in the night he crossed the sea of Galilee with the disciples him walking on the water them in a boat now they're in Capernaum and it's the next day and these people come to Jesus and they're talking about the bread from the day before and Jesus is talking to them about their need of trusting God in telling them that he was the bread from heaven, that he was the bread of life. Now, when he says that he is the bread from heaven, when he says that he is the bread of life, they want to talk about their ancestral past. They want to talk about something that went on for 40 years, where God provided manna every morning for the entire multitude of the nation of Israel, and they're saying, we want something like that. Well, Jesus is saying to them, that's not my job. And right away, they don't like that. They want Jesus to perform for them. We talk about our culture today. And our culture is a sensual culture. And this is a sensual idea. These people have their felt needs. They want them met. They want them met now. They want them met whenever they need them met. And they want this over and over again. That's very much the same in our culture today. People want Jesus 
for what they want Jesus for. That's the problem. Jesus is telling them, I am offering you me. (laughs) That's what he's saying. I am offering you me and all the benefits that come through me from my Father in heaven. They said a little more manna, please. That's what they're saying. And again, this is very analogous with our culture today. Jesus calls them to seek and to find in him eternal life. Jesus calls them to put their faith in everything he says, put their faith in everything he does, and put their faith in everything he is. That's what he is calling them to do. It's a challenge that he lays before the people of every age in every culture. And so this is how Christianity bridges from one culture to another culture. It's not meeting the felt needs that people have that are so diverse, but giving people the opportunity to receive from God Jesus Christ and all the things that he is in all the benefit that he provides. Belief here, belief is like an instrument. Belief is like a tool. Belief is like the means by which a person embraces Jesus Christ in all of his fullness and receives him receives him to themselves. And whenever a person puts their faith in Christ Jesus to receive him like that, Jesus, in fact, receives them to himself. So it's a both and. It's not a one-way thing. But what we come to embrace in Jesus is all that Jesus is and all that Jesus attends to do And when that happens, you find that all that's in you and all that you desire becomes greatly changed, greatly modified, greatly enlarged, and it just changes a person's life. We are a people of small beginnings. Jesus is not like that. If we embrace Jesus for what we want to embrace Jesus for in You can almost look into the culture and see the people who've done this, who have only embraced Jesus for the Jesus that they want. Their lives remain about this big. When a person embraces Jesus for who Jesus is and receives him in all of his fullness, the end result is almost incomprehensible. No man has heard No eye has seen all that God has for us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We become born again. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. We see everything about the world different. We go through this life in a manner, in a way 
that we are called more than conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not trapped in the mundane things of this world, but rather we are caught up in the celestial, the eternal, and, and the invisible things that God is doing in the world. We get to participate in that. Now, amen to that. Now, there's a mandate. In this, there's a mandate. And that mandate is coming from Jesus, that you have to fully embrace Jesus Christ in your life of faith and belief. This mandate requires us to receive Jesus' teaching. It requires us to look into and to understand and receive Jesus' promise, to receive his person, to receive the victory that he has accomplished in every dimension and sphere of life in this world, in the world beyond this world. So here in verse 52, Jesus begins to teach us in the manner that we must receive him the manner in which he must be comprehended by an absolute faith in himself. And so he tells them, he's saying to these people who ask him the question, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, Jesus says, you're having a problem with that. Okay, you're having a problem with this. Here's what Jesus is saying. You will not listen to me. You will not accept my teaching. You are not in any mood to accept what God offers you through me. So in order to make this for you more comprehensible what God wants, he says, you've got to, and then he begins to say this repeatedly, over and over again. He emphasizes this is the fourth time that Jesus says the word truly, truly. In this one sermon, he said truly, truly, four different times. And so in this time, he says, you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood. And if you do this, I will raise you up on, my la- on, on that last day. And these people are absolutely scandalized by this that how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What was one of the number one ceremonial stipulations in the Old Testament dietary laws as it pertained to meat? And that was the absolute blood cleansing of all the meat before it was consumed. What do we call that meat today? Kosher. That's what it's called today. Meat that has been ceremonially cleansed in such a way to meet the Jewish dietetic legal uh, requirements. That's kosher food. You know, I'm all for it, if you'll pay for it. But don't ask me to. (laughs) It's out of my pay grade. I mean, Hebrew Union hot dogs, pretty good stuff. (laughs) 
You won't find them in my refrigerator unless you bring them. Okay? So here's the thing. Jesus has put this out. They won't listen to Jesus. They're not going to believe Jesus, and they're not going to benefit from Jesus because Jesus is telling them the truth that they've got to receive him, appropriate him. Well, what does this language mean? Now, no one can say exactly, perfectly, what Jesus' intention is because Jesus never totally reveals it. But the general sense of this is something like this. If we eat something personally, it goes into us. And there's a sense in which that which goes into us becomes one with us. And it supplies the energy that allows our heart to beat and the blood to flow and all of the things that have to happen to make a body work. In other words, when we take food to ourselves, it becomes one with us, and we become one with us. It. That's why, you know, certain things are good to bring into your body, and, you know, there's certain things that I don't ever intend to bring into my body. And, and that's just the way it is. And we've got to be careful about that. But what Jesus is saying to this is, what you need in you is me. That's what you need. You need me in you in the deepest part of your life and in every part of your life. And in order to communicate this, he uses this language of eating my flesh and drinking my blood. For this, these things, again, are not comprehended. So down in verse 58... Jesus goes back to theirs. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as your fathers ate, he's referring to the manna, and died. The manna that they're looking for is a dead-end street. The things that Jesus is offering them in himself is to receive the benefit of eternal life. A greater miracle than the manna, a greater miracle than the uh, five loaves and two fishes is what comes to us when we receive Christ by faith. Now, the first, fourth thing that I want to say, Chip, this has got a five points today, so I'm bringing you up to speed. He always wants to know where we are in the outline in case he wants to go to sleep or leave or something. And so this is number four of five. The murmuring. There's alliteration today. These are all M's. The murmuring. Well, first it was the Jews. First the Jews. They couldn't stomach this. But now it's the disciples. The 5,000 by this time have greatly, for the greatest part, have left Jesus in unbelief. Now... As we began at the beginning, there is a mass of disciples beyond the twelve, and they're there. These casual disciples, in verse 60 then, begin to express their unbelief. So they say, this 
is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Jesus, therefore, knowing how they're thinking, Jesus then begins to say to them, the impossible is going to lead to the incomprehensible. So Jesus is conscious. He says, does this cause you to stumble? He says, what are you going to do when you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before, speaking of heaven? Then he says of everything that he's been speaking to them, it's the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then he says, I know that there's a number of you who are here who do not believe. Now, what is Jesus saying here when he's talking about the words that I'm saying to you are spirit and life? This sounds very familiar. It goes back to John chapter 3. Another parallel situation. People coming to Jesus. They want something from Jesus. The man's name is Nicodemus. He's not sure what he wants, but he wants an audience with Jesus. He wants to find out more from Jesus What's Jesus say to Nicodemus? You must be born again, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus' eyes open, his forehead wrinkles, his brain reels, and he says, Can a man really crawl back into his mother's womb and be born again? You really want me to eat your flesh and drink your blood? What's up with that? That's what Jesus is saying to these people. But when he says that his teaching is spirit and in life, he's telling us that these things can only be received by faith. We have to believe what Jesus is saying here. We may not comprehend it. There are multitudes of things that the best Presbyterian theologians studying all the church fathers, studying all the Greek, all the Aramaic, and everything that's ever been spilt in ink about certain doctrines of the Bible, and we're no further today than they were back at the early church. What, pray tell, does baptizing for the dead mean? I don't know. If you know, I can help you and me together make millions of dollars. (laughs) If you can get it right. (laughs) Because there are things we can't understand. We can't understand everything about being born again. We can't understand everything about eating and drinking the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. But we're told that there's spirit and that there's life, and we're told that the Father is calling people and granting them to understand and accept this. So we see that in verse 65. I said to you, no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. So it tells us now, 
that this is shrunk again. This is what you used to call a Scottish revival. The pastor comes, there's 5,000, his preaching leads to 12. We go, I think we need another preacher. But this is what happens with Jesus, he's down to 12 now. So they're not, they've left, they're not going to go with Jesus anymore. But Jesus says to them now, he has matured these, the faith of these 12. You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter, as usual. This isn't the same thing as we see at Caesarea Philippi. It's a separate event. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, if you're a part of our church and you're here on Sunday morning, we've been singing a song that has these exact words to it. We're singing these exact words on Sunday morning repeatedly now over the last number of months as we have sung this, this particular song. Peter understands, Lord, this is a testimony to his faith. You have the words of eternal life. We have believed. We have come to know you are the Holy One of God. Now, what is it that's happened here? What has happened to Simon Peter? What has happened to the 12 minus Judas Iscariot? Well, in the simplest form, what has happened is this. They have been doing exactly what Jesus told them to do in this chapter. They have appropriated Jesus to themselves by faith. These 12 the eleven have been eating Jesus' body. They have been drinking Jesus' blood. They have received Jesus to themselves in whatever manner Jesus cares to represent himself to them. They don't understand it. Every once in a while, you know, I'll get around somebody and I'll think... You know, if that guy starts asking me some questions about what he knows about, I ain't going to know what he's talking about. Because <laughs> the stuff that he knows about, I haven't even thought about. You ever been in that position? You sit there and say, sure hope he asks that person a question. I sure hope he leaves me alone. I think I'll just bring my book up a little higher. I'll slink down a little lower in this chair, and maybe you won't see me. How many people are out there that are way beyond our capacities? Well, Jesus is way beyond them. There's no one else like him. And so these disciples comprehend that. And they say, wherever you go, we're going to be there. In the simplest way, this is what they've done. They have eaten Jesus' body. They have drank Jesus' blood. They have appropriated Jesus' person to themselves. They don't need worldly. They do not need intellectual explanations. Jesus has transformed their life. They're born again by the Spirit. They believe in Jesus. They're going to follow him wherever. That's what we're seeing here. That's what we're called to do. Now, just 
in a nutshell. What happens to the person that does that? Well, you can just kind of take the author of this book. What if John would have not followed when Jesus said, follow me? And he said to his brother James, you go, I got to stay here with dad and fish. Any of you think you'd be reading any of John's words today? Do you think the people in Africa would be reading John's words today? How about in China today, or Korea, or South America, or Australia, or wherever? Don't you know that today, all around this globe, there are people that are reading the words of a simple fisherman who followed Jesus when he really didn't know what Jesus was talking about? He just said, if Jesus is saying it, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to attach myself to him, and I'm going to trust that he is going to make this make sense when it all pans out. And he's found that to be true. And that's the promise to each and every one of us. We've got to embrace Christ into our innermost being. The disciples' faith matures. Our faith matures as we follow, even when we have questions. Father in heaven, bless and keep us. Help us to understand that this is what you require of us. Use it in our lives day by day. Make us useful in your kingdom day by day. In Christ's name, amen.